Okay, I would like you to do something a little bit different. We're going to hang on to these sheets, okay? We're going to do our prayer time. But for our Bible study time, can we do this? Um, because, not because I'm lazy, but I thought that this would be a different approach to what we want to do with what we're talking about tonight. If you look at the topic, okay, it's an odd passage of Scripture and an odd topic. There was a professor that came through one time in preaching in the seminary, and he was saying, hey, listen, if you want to get increase your Sunday attendance, on a Sunday night, announce one of two topics, and you'll get a lot more people coming. He says, talk about marriage and sex, or number two, talk about end times. And then he says, if you really want to get a lot of people come, talk about sex and the end times. And so uh, that is not why I'm doing this, but it comes in, that's exactly the topic we're at in in Mark chapter 12, is where Jesus is going to be confronted, and they're going to ask him basically, what about, and that's what it comes down to, what about sex and the end times? And so before we touch that delicate topic, why don't we do this? Let's take a few minutes, and I would encourage you to get up, move around, get next to somebody, two or three people, and do some of this Bible study on the front part of the sheet and on the back part of the sheet. I've given you a number of references and statements. And look up, they are all dealing with what is it going to be like in heaven and what will our bodies be like. Some of this you know. And so it shouldn't be very hard. Some of it you'll have to look and say, okay, exactly what's in this verse? And so sometimes I've given you slight clues of what the letter might be. But let's take several minutes for you. And again, feel free to move around. If you're somebody sitting by themselves, go introduce yourself. Get to meet them and do it together. And so you look up the verses, and that way you can speed up the process. But why don't we just do some of that into that Bible study with you folk, and then we'll come up, share our answers, and then we'll get into that topic in Mark 12. Some comparison for the sake of time, you can do some of you. We'll, we'll fill in the blanks, okay? And then you'll have this for a reference if you get into discussions. We're talking about uh, the first page. We're talking about what heaven is like. Just to give some thoughts here, what did you put down in the first blank on John 14 2? Heaven is real, okay? Real, physical, okay? Heaven is being prepared by Jesus Christ. Did anybody look up the Hebrew passage? God, okay? Which. Put the two together, and what does that once again tell you? They're the same. Okay. That's a, that's a good, good uh, com, uh, comparison of passages to put together. Um, heaven is only for those who are the born again. Yeah, you got that one easy. Heaven is a place of great joy, rejoicing, the Psalm six, 16, verse 11. Heaven is a place of great beauty. Okay, great beauty. Heaven will be, will be in heaven. The forever would be the right answer. What do you have down on the next one? Some things that are in heaven. Now, see how your, what your thought process was compared to mine. Some things that we experience here, we're familiar with now, that will be in heaven. What are some of the things you put down there? What's that? Pearls, gems, jewels. What's that? Gates, streets, city. Anything else? River. Brightness, what else? Trees, okay. What did you say? Throne. Okay, um, let me throw this out to you. Why is heaven being made of things that we're familiar with? Does God need streets? So why has he put streets in the heavenly city? Okay, I am building a mansion for... Do you remember? He's, when he talks, I'm building it not just for you to use, but it's going to be, heaven is relevant for us as a place. Because God doesn't need a heaven. Correct? 
Okay, so heaven is a place that we would be able to operate and manage. And since we're going to be in a physical realm, we need to have some of those physical things and things that we can relate to or are somewhat familiar with. What are some of the things that are not in heaven that we're familiar with? There's not what? Sun or moon are gone. Which ones aren't going to be there? <laughs> oh, you were, answer, you were answering just in general. I thought you were picking one or the two. Okay. What do you mean by no Republicans and Democrats? Even though it's not in the text. What, what did you mean by that? What's that? Well, there is, a, there is a political system, but what is it? It's not going to be what we're talking about. Okay. What's that? It's going to be a theocracy, okay? In fact, that's going to get down into, uh, into uh, the Ephesians 1.10. Did any of you get that far to look? I'm, I'm jumping down three spaces. Heaven will be a place of complete unity, okay? Um, back to where things that are missing. Anything else that you had missing that, uh, that's listed in those texts? Okay, no sin. What? No hunger and thirst. What else? What's that? Well, there will be animals in heaven. There will be, yeah. Maybe not, I don't think my, you know, my pebbles pet that I had when I was little, okay? I don't think that that soul lives forever as an animal. But there's going to be animals because even in part of the time in heaven, in the kingdom, there's going to be animal sacrifices. There's going to be shepherding and herdsmen and things of that sort. As we read about in the kingdom, the first thousand years, there's going to be animals there. And husbandry will be horses. I mean, Christ rides down in heaven with his army on horses. So there's going to be animals, uh, again, things that we can relate to. Uh, did you have anything else that's not there? I think you covered everything. The, the one other one that I didn't hear was that it says no heat. Does that mean heaven is going to be like the Arctic? Where it says no hunger, no thirst, no heat. Is that what it means? Okay. Um, I think it could be a little bit more than, like, there's no starvation, there's no drought, there's no... Okay, well, when talking about heat, it wouldn't be the, the emotion, but the factor that heat could cause harm. Okay, there's none of that's going to be that way. Perfect environment, in other words. Heaven will be lit by... What do you have? By God himself, his glory, okay? Heaven will be totally without... Sin, sin's taint. Heaven, in heaven, there's going to be a lot of, this is the Revelation 5, 14, and chapter 15. Singing, a lot of singing, okay. In heaven, we will still eat, okay. Yes! And M&Ms will be on the platter, okay. And I can tell you one food that won't be there. Coconut macaroons. <laughs> Coconut macaroons are not there. With Scrapple, that's out as well. Okay. In heaven we will, what with Jesus Christ? We'll serve. Okay, the passage talks about those serving him. And what do you have down here? A major feature of heaven. This one you might have a couple different answers. God on the throne. Okay, what's that? Gems, okay. In particular in that one text, the one word that I put down, because you have the description of the gems and the animals and other things, but the word that's repeated at least 12 times within 11 verses is the word throne. 
So the centerpiece really seems to be focusing on God. Now, what will we be like? Okay, that's on your back sheet. And this one we have some information and a lot more um, conclusions by illustration scripture than specific statements. But let's deal with some specific statements. We shall become like Jesus Christ. In many ways, we'll be like Jesus Christ. Does that mean we're going to look just like Jesus? No. What will you look like in heaven in your, in your resurrected body? Who will you look like? Okay. Are you still going to look like you? But improved? Okay. We, we retain in our, in our resurrection body, we retain our appearance that people can still recognize us. Okay. Uh, let's take it a step further. Okay. We shall have our blank bodies. Okay. Resurrected bodies. Anything else? Did anybody put another answer? Okay, glorified body. Same, same idea, by the way. I'm glad you brought that up, Jay. Same idea, glorified and resurrected. Their terminology, it's the same. Okay, anything else that you have? I had our own physical bodies. Okay, that we will have our own that will be glorified. And so I'm not going to be transported to another body, but my own body will be glorified and resurrected, which is really, really... It's a major part teaching in Jesus' teachings is not just we're going to be in heaven, but a major part of his teaching is resurrection. And so to me, there's got to be, I've never done it, but I really think you need to do a whole study on this whole concept of the resurrection and how important that resurrection concept was in his teaching in the New Testament. Our resurrection bodies will last. Okay, that's an easy one. Our resurrection bodies will never die. Okay, according to Revelation 21, they will not suffer anymore. Okay, yeah, there won't be the sorrow, the pain, the death. The pain is the one that's highlighted in the text, that there will be no more pain. That means you're going to get out of bed without a problem. Okay, um, amen, that's <laughs> right. First Corinthians 15, our resurrected bodies will be different and better in that they will be, what'd you have? Perfect. Anything else from this text? Okay. Uh, anything else? I'll come back to that spiritual in a second. Imperishable. Okay. What's that? Powerful. It talks about how that we're, um, we're buried a physical. Is that the word that, between the different translations, it's going to confuse me. In, in that one text where it's talking about our bodies, it is uh, sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body. Okay, what he means by that is something that is earthbound. And then it is raised a spiritual body. doesn't mean that we're spirits. It's, it, it would be a contradiction of terms, a spiritual body. What's he mean by spiritual body? The idea is one that is able to live in the spiritual realm. Um, can, we, can we try to put it this way? Can you live underwater right now the way you are? Your body isn't designed to do that. Okay, but will your new resurrection body be able to live in space? Yes. It'll be, tra- it'll be transformed like your body is now, but have the capabilities to be able to live in the environment of heaven. That's the concept of the spiritual bodies, uh, that it is... Uh, designed for that heavenly environment. What are some of the other blessings that we will enjoy in our new resurrection bodies? Without any text, what else did you put down here? Anything? Anybody put hair? 
Okay? For those, yeah. What'd you have? Anything? Anything? Any other blessings with the resurrection body? I put down this. I won't be struggling with sin anymore. The temptations of the flesh. Not just the weaknesses, not just those problems, which leads into the study because in the, in the time of Jesus Christ, there was a lot of debate over what the resurrection body will be like. And so what happens when Jesus is in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is accosted. Now, set the setting. This is when Jesus is in his Passion Week. And in that Passion Week, remember, there's going to be several times that the Jewish leaders on this Tuesday before he dies, they're going to come and they're going to ask him questions. Their purpose is one of three, three purposes. They're trying to discredit him before the crowd, such as, should we pay taxes or not? Um, they're trying to catch him in some type of, of a heresy. If they can catch him in heresy, then they can accuse him of something malicious and therefore get rid of him through Jewish law. Or they want to catch him in making a treasonous statement. If he makes a treasonous statement, then the Jews will get hooted to get rid of Christ. The Romans. And so they're trying to, to come against him. Now they come out as strange bedfellows. That all of a sudden, like the last time we looked at this, the Pharisees and the Herodians, who never got along, they got along in order to come against Jesus. Now in this case, in this question, what is really interesting is who comes and what they ask. If you look at the passage that we're talking about in this one setting, in Mark chapter 12, it is in verse 18. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which they say, and this is their doctrine, we, the writer wants us to understand, they don't believe in a what? They don't believe in a resurrection, okay? And they asked him, now let me add to that here, just in case you're unfamiliar with the Sadducees. They're the rich people. They're the aristocrats. They are the power folk, the politically powerhouse folk. They control the temple. They also control most of the Sanhedrin, which are the Jewish institutions of that time. Their political stance is they're pro-Rome, pro-the Herods. And so they're, they're very pro, the term Hellenization makes sense to you? Okay, they want to be like the world. They don't want to be the separatists like the Pharisees and keep our Jewish identity. They want to become tolerant of all and embraced by all. Again, so they're coming from that point of view. Their theological background is this. They do not believe in any inspired books except for the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is which books? The first five. The Pentateuch, the five. Okay. They, so they believe when they're going to go to any kind of discussion on theology, they're going to quote what books? Genesis, Exodus. Okay, the rest of it's uninspired. It has no, no kind of um, influence on them. They do not believe in angels. They do not believe in the resurrection. They do not believe in miracles. So the things that Jesus are doing, they're suspect that he is just doing some type of chicanery. So they are like the modern religious liberals in Christianity who deny the supernatural. That's the Sadducees. And so when they, the one other thought you have to keep in mind is they do not believe in life after death. They believe in annihilation. And so they are very strongly of this opinion, and, and I'm going to quote Josephus. The Sadducees taught that when the body dies, the soul dies from antiquities that Josephus wrote. So they don't believe in life after death, which when they come and they ask Jesus a question, you go, why are these guys asking this question? 
And part of it could be this, okay? Because as they come and ask the question, watch what happens in verse 19. Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and have no children, and that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took the wife. Dying, he left no seed. The second took her. Died. Neither left he any seed. The third likewise. And the seven had her and left no seed. Last of all, the woman dies. This woman is like, you know, the killer widow, okay? She's gone through five men in the same family, and they ask this question, in the resurrection, therefore, when, shall, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be? For the seven were all married to her. Okay, now, what's ridiculous about them asking this question? What's that? They don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in life after death. And they're asking us, and they pose it. Now, that makes you wonder, why are they asking such a, a question from their point of view? Because they believe it's stupid. They believe it's absurd. The, uh, and I agree. One, there was a couple commentators that, in studying this that I found very interesting how they put it. They said, maybe, just maybe, this was the, one of their arguments they would use with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees went, uh, yeah, and it worked with the Pharisees. It shut them up. And I don't know if that's a fact. But that could very well have been the case. And so they present this to Jesus. It's an absurd argument. And that's where they're coming from. They're saying with this absurdity, they're saying, how can you possibly believe in the resurrection? And so if, you know, and they're using this way extreme case. By the way, do people ever push an agenda by using extreme points of view or scenarios? Yes? Yes? Okay. And so they're using an extreme, you know, hypothetical situation. And they think that Jesus is trapped. And so they're coming and, and they're asking, you know, by the way, just, just it totally is an aside. When we had, uh, were visiting with Amman and Iris from Kyrgyzstan, they were sharing that in their culture, which isn't Jewish, but in their culture, they have the same type of, the Leverite is the term for it, the Leverite marriage which comes from the Latin brother-in-law marriage. It's the idea that you, the, you know, the widow marries the brother-in-law and the brother-in-law. But in their culture in Kyrgyzstan, they practice the same thing. That if the brother dies without an heir, then it's the obligation of the next brother to take as wife and raise up a child in their name. And so this isn't, a, this, the, this isn't just unique, but it is, to the, it is in this era. The Jews were practicing it. They were promoting it. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy that you're all familiar with in chapter 25. And Jesus now responds to it. And Jesus answering them, and I think his first comments are very insightful. Uh, Do you not therefore err because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? And so Jesus is not going to let this error go unchallenged. He's going to confront it, which is, is you know, wise in his part. But what I think that in his confrontation, what he's going to accuse them of is they don't know two things. And I, this is very important at the very beginning of his response. You are ignorant in two areas. What are the two areas that he says you're ignorant of? You're ignorant of scriptures, and you're ignorant of the power of God. Okay, so in his response, keep in mind, he is talking about scriptures, support this, whole idea of whatever you guys are denying, and number two, whatever you are denying, which is the resurrection life after death, that it is all about the power of God. 
Interesting. Interesting how he, before he gives them that answer. And, and by the way, is it not true? Okay, see if, see if this makes sense. Most every heresy, every false doctrine comes out of questioning the character or the power of God. Evolution. Does the heresy of evolution, is its basis on, is God able to create? It's denial of that, correct? The uh, heresy that the Bible is not the inspired word of God. What is, what is the crux of that argument? That God can't inspire scripture. The, uh, the argument against the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. What is the attack placed at? Questioning the power of God. The attack that these guys are making. Is there a resurrection? Is there life after death? Okay, it's really questioning the power of God. Because it's all resolved and revolving around this idea of who God is and what God says he will do. And so Jesus responds, and after he makes that statement, he answers their question, and he uses scripture. He answers and he says, For when they shall rise from the dead, they, shall, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Okay, he's made one, one truism statement that we can't ignore, that he's talking to these guys, and especially the Sadducees. He makes it very clear there will be a what? There will be a resurrection. That's clear. He's, he's not even going to discuss the possibilities. He's just making a statement. He says, when they shall rise from the dead. Now, this isn't the only time he's taught on the resurrection. He's already talked on it several times before, and so he's not going to get off target. He just says, there is going to be a resurrection when they rise. He also gives us a revelation of what it's like after death. He makes a comment to them, there will be no what? There's not going to be any marriage in the, in the heavenly spot. Neither will they marry or are they given in marriage. And so even though we have a continuity, when we get into heaven, there's going to be changes. There's going to be continuity in some relationships in the sense that we have that relationship with God. We will know one another. But part of our, our continuity, there's going to be some change in this idea. And uh, so this, this focuses and causes a lot of consternation for some, indi- some individuals. But let me pause and let me challenge you to think this through a little bit more. Why do we marry? Why in our society do we marry? One of the reasons that God designed marriage is reproduction. What's another reason that he designed marriage? Okay. To, he wanted to abolish what was Adam experiencing? The loneliness. Okay. So one of the things of marriage is for companionship loneliness. One of the reasons that he says, I have made you to be what to Adam? What did he say to Eve? I made you to be a, a helper or compliment. Okay. Because we are lacking and our spouse can help us. Now take those three major reasons for marriage. Is that a necessity? Will there be loneliness in heaven? No. Okay. Will there be an incompleteness that I need her to complete my weaknesses? No. Will we need to be producing babies for all eternity and you be forever pregnant? No. I was waiting for some, somebody to say you know, something along those you know, lines. Okay, so hang on to that thought that the, the institution of marriage, when you and I are saying, say, sitting here and we're saying, yeah, but I, I, I like my marriage, I, I like that, and you know, will there be any kind of physical relationships in heaven Let me, and without being risque? You, you know, that's a very enjoyable part of our life. Do we lose that enjoyable part of our life? And, you know, 
<laughs> um, you might ask, and, and, and I'm not trying to be silly about this, but you might ask some people, do you realize that there's no sex in heaven? And they might look at you and go, then I don't want to go. Because do some religions make heaven such promiscuity that it's attractive to people? Sure, sure, okay. So how do we approach this from a biblical point of view? Okay, let's keep going for a second. Okay, he says in this, For when they shall rise from the dead, neither they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Which, by the way, what do the Sadducees say don't exist? According to Acts 23, verse 5, they don't believe in angels. And so Jesus makes a comment, We will live like some other heavenly beings. Okay, we're going to live and we're going to have some relationship to the angels, and he confirms their reality. I, where he's going with this is where my number four and five statements are. And he goes on, he says, As touching the dead, that they shall rise, have you not read? Before I go any further, can I make this? And I think this is where he's going, he's, these two last statements. Heaven is not going to be like we experience here, but it will be far better, far better than we can imagine. Um, again, without being risque, please understand I'm trying to deal with this sensitively, but at the same time, let's deal with it in a pointed fashion. Will there be sexuality in heaven? Are there genders? Yes. Okay. Will there be sensuality in heaven? No. No. And we say, but again, I'm going to make this comment, and with, without being risque, it's an enjoyable part of our life, but understand what he's implying. In heaven, we will have no sense of disappointment. We will have no sense of deprivation, that we are being deprived. What's going to be in heaven is going to be extremely fulfilling beyond our understanding to more than satisfy and by comparison, the cravings and the desires and the fulfillment we have in physical relationships here. Heaven will be a far greater experience than that intimate relationships that we have in here. How that works, I don't know. But I am fully content in my mind to say that we will not feel deprived. We make these comments about when people pass away, and we make these comments, oh, they didn't get to experience everything in life. They're going to heaven. They didn't lose anything. It's going to do the, what on this earth is so important that we would stay here to get our driver's license? You know, heaven's going to have far much better things that will satisfy that desire. I never got to date. Well, in heaven, we're going to have such different relationships, but more fulfilling that it will far exceed what we understand as, understand as dating. Well, we never, you know, we never got the chance to, and again, I'm not trying to be vulgar. We never had a chance to be married and experience that, that intimacy. What we will experience in heaven will far exceed what we experience in intimacy as a couple. How it all works, I don't know. But he's saying that there's not going to be anything lacking in heaven. Okay, We're not going to lack finances. We're not going to lack fulfillment. We're not going to lack relationships. And so Jesus is answering a question which these guys, they decry heaven. Because to them it just seems like a silly place. And Jesus is saying it's a real place and it is wonderful. Let's take a step further. 
Jesus answered and says, as touching the dead, that they shall rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses? Why does he go to the book of Moses? They believe it. They believe it. Okay. Where are most of the resurrection references in the Old Testament? They are not in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There, you'll find them, basically, you're going to find them probably in Daniel 12 is one of the clearest. The several in the book of Psalms. But why doesn't he go to those books? He's meeting them where they are at. And so he uses it, and he makes a, he makes a profound statement that you and I want to pull out of the text. We, we read the text about, Jesus, uh, about Moses in Exodus chapter 3. We read about the story of Moses talking at the burning bush. And we get caught up when he says, I am. We get caught up with the eternality of God, which is great, which is good, which is something that should impress us. But Jesus says, I want to show you something about that, not just about, you know, I am uh, how it relates to explaining God, but he wants to say, I want to take you a little bit further. He says, how in the bush that God spake unto Moses and said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. In other words, he didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. As if Abraham is, by the way, at Moses' time, is Abraham alive or dead? Physically, physically. He's dead. Physically, where's Isaac? He's dead. Okay, uh, who's our other one? Joseph or Jacob? Where's Jacob? Physically, all three are dead. At the time that, that God is speaking to Moses, they've been dead for generations. And God is saying, in reality, they, they are alive. They're alive. Which, by the way, remember the Sadducees? They don't, not only do they deny resurrection, they just deny life after death. And Jesus is saying to them, he is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. You greatly err. Okay. Now, go back. Go back to his initial statement in verse 24. Why were they denying the fact that people could live after they, die, after they died? They were denying what? The power, uh, the scriptures, but the power of God. That whole aspect of the power of God. Who keeps us alive? It's not us, guys. It's not us. It's God. It's God. Who's, you know, how are we going to be resurrected? It's not us. It's not we're going to grow into a resurrection. What, what, what prompts the resurrection? The, uh, the, well, uh, what brings it about? It's the power of God. Everything goes back to God. And so Jesus is emphasizing this whole idea about how great God is, which brings me to number five. Such a heaven is not beyond God's power. Such a heaven that we're talking about is not beyond God's power. This idea that, hey, we're going to have intimacies that we don't have to worry about who's married to who. We're going to have fulfillment. We don't have to, we, we, you know, these earthly ties will fall aside and it'll be much better. Who brings that about? It's, it's God. Who will bring about my physical, quote-unquote, satisfactions? It's God. Who will bring about my emotional satisfactions? It's God. Who's going to bring about my social satisfactions? It's God. It's all about the power of God, which brings that last statement. I, I couldn't get away from staying it this way. A great God surely will have or would have a great heaven. A great God's going to have a great heaven. 
And that's what Jesus is getting to. You guys can deny it, he says, but you err, you deny scripture, you deny the power of God. Heaven is something that is beyond our wildest expectations and imaginations and explanations. But we believe in the scriptures and we believe in the power of God. That should carry us through. Let's start thinking about the power of God in scriptures. Let's utilize what we can on this side of heaven. Let's use prayer. You got about another 15 minutes here to pray for those different needs, to pray about. And I would do this this evening, if, in light of what we talked about. Why don't you take a couple minutes and do some praising? Why don't you, be thank, you know, say, God, thank you about these promises and these awarenesses and what we know about heaven and what some of our family and friends are experiencing. And do a little bit of praising this evening. And that confidence that we can have in God's power, his scriptures, and his future that he's planned for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your participation. Let's go to prayer.